Approach pain relief from the ground up with Curex. Curex makes highly customizable over-the-counter insoles thanks to their dynamic arch technology, which provides different support for different arch types. They were developed by German scientists for the specific foot movements of various activities delivering the right support and cushion where it's needed the most. Curex makes the largest selection of activity-specific insoles for running, hiking, golfing, biking, soccer, tennis, or solely for walking and everyday wear. That's the Curex difference, and it can make a difference for your patients. For a free sample, email curexinside at curex.us. That's C-U-R-R-E-X inside at curex.us. Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Long COVID is the term that was coined by patients and advocates to describe the long-term consequences of COVID-19. But the crushing fatigue experienced by so many with long COVID, that post-exertion malaise, is not new. People have lived with post-viral illness and post-exertion malaise for decades, and in that time they've faced stigma and they've experienced harm. Today we hear from Sabrina Poirier and Dr Simon Dakari, who are both working tirelessly to ensure the mistakes and the harms inflicted on so many living with post-viral illness are not repeated for people living with long COVID. Sabrina is a person living with myalgic encephalomyelitis, ME. She's a patient advocate in Canada and she's the chair of the Trainee Development and Medical Education Working Group for the I Can See ME Research Network. And Simon's a physiotherapist and assistant professor of rehabilitation from Sherbrooke University in Quebec, Canada. Today, Sabrina and Simon help us understand what long COVID is, how to recognise the signs, and most importantly, they share evidence-based suggestions for how rehabilitation clinicians can best help people who are living with post-viral illnesses like long COVID and myalgic encephalomyelitis. Sabrina, Simon, welcome to JOSPT Insights, and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. I'm going to jump straight in today. We are talking about some topical issues, long COVID. We're going to talk about myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. I'd like to start, though, by talking about long COVID. And Simon, could you kick us off by sharing with us what long COVID really is, please? Long COVID is the term that was described by patient to describe the long-term consequences of COVID-19. It's a term that describe the different symptoms from COVID-19. And as a definition, uh, what's proposed is that long COVID is is having persistent symptoms for longer than four weeks. There have been many other other diagnostic terms that were proposed in the UK, ongoing symptomatic COVID-19 or post-COVID-19 syndrome. And in the, in the United States, you will have post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2 infections. So these are different terms, but the term long COVID was first proposed by patient and patient organization. I think your point about the term coming from patients is really 
really important to our discussion today because we are talking about patient-centred research, patient-centred practice. So I'm going to use the term long COVID for that reason. Now, Simon, I would also, I'm also grateful to you for explaining what the different symptoms and what long COVID really looks like. Because I think there might be a bit of confusion in the community about what, what it is that we really talk about when we talk about long COVID. Long COVID is, if we describe it as, as a broad term, is a multisystemic disease. It's a unpredictable and relapsing disease. And in the literature up to now, they, they have been described more than 50 different symptoms over close to 10 biologic systems that can be affected within the umbrella term of long COVID. In the literature, what's consistent is that the patient with long COVID will have persistent fatigue. It's really exhaustion when we talk about post-viral and long COVID fatigue. So that's, that's the main symptoms. But there are also other very common symptoms like breathlessness or pain. So, so we have patients that, that are going to develop new painful symptoms, difficulty sleeping, difficulty concentrating, or what, what we call brain fog. So this is a constellation of symptoms. There are other symptoms that are less prevalent, like the, the permanent loss of smell or taste. There are other dermatological issues that, that were described in, in the literature also. So that's the overall portrait, multisystemic disease with a component of relapsing and remitting symptoms appearing in many biological systems. And do we know how common long COVID is likely to be at this stage? Evidence, the research is still evolving because this hasn't been around for very long. But what do we know about the, the prevalence so far? In my opinion, the best prevalence estimate we have right now comes from the ONS data. So it's, it's epidemiological data from the United Kingdoms. There are a few hundred thousand patients in this cohort, and they have a more stricter cohort of 20,000 patients where, where people actually make phone calls to, to have a more structured follow-up of patients. So just tell you the data set that where I'm, I'm taking these estimates from. From this data, between 20 and 30% of all COVID cases will have persistent symptoms for more than five weeks. So they fit the definition, the timing definition of long COVID. From there, approximately half will have a natural recovery between the fifth and the 12th weeks. And from this data, we know that right now, between 10 and 15% of all long COVID cases will have persistent symptoms for a longer duration than 12 weeks or so three months. So overall, we can say that there is at least 10% of all cases that will go on to have persistent symptoms for a duration longer than three months. So if we look at the total number of COVID-19 cases over the world, they are most likely higher than 10 million people living with long COVID in the world right now. That's a pretty sobering number. Sabrina, 
I'd like to bring you into the discussion here, particularly given your experience working in education and in patient engagement and patient advocacy, particularly in the myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome area. What do we know about post-viral illness and particularly the, I think there's been some advocacy and there's there's some people have started to draw parallels between ME and long COVID. I think it might be helpful maybe to start just by explaining a little bit about what ME is. Um, and we tend to just refer to ME, uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis, when we're talking to patients and within the patient community. And, uh, and in the research community, it's referred to as ME-CFS because for the most part, we're still diagnosing patients um, with chronic fatigue syndrome, but that name is a little stigmatizing. So for the purposes of this, I'm going to stick to ME just to respect that feeling within the community. ME is a devastating, complex, chronic multi-system illness. About 80% of cases are post-viral, which is why we're talking about this today. Um, it was recognized by the World Health Organization over 50 years ago as a neuroimmune illness. The history of ME is one of neglect, dismissal, and ableism for the most part, sadly, around the world. And then we heard about the pandemic in early 2020, and some of us started ringing the alarm bells quite early in 2020 because currently we're not meeting the need, and we don't fully understand, and we don't have good education programs to help our healthcare providers really know how to help support patients. And we started to ask ourselves, how can we add value to this discussion? Post-viral um, illness is all-consuming in terms of illness. It is multi-system, as Simon mentioned. And so, for the most part, people haven't been through anything like this before. And there's a great deal of processing, not only from the medical side of what is this and how are we going to deal with it, but also many people have had to leave their jobs or are taking um, extended breaks from work. And that is part of our identity, right? Like, for me, my career was a very big part of my identity. And to have to let that go, you know, there's a lot of grief and a lot of loss. Absolutely, Sabrina. Thank you. Simon, you mentioned that fatigue was one of the cardinal signs of long COVID, or let's talk about post-viral illnesses. JOSPT serves primarily musculoskeletal rehabilitation community who are interested in orthopedics and sports. Why do you see that it is critical for clinicians in the musculoskeletal rehabilitation arena to understand long COVID symptoms, this whole discussion that we're having about post-viral illnesses? Long COVID, the term was proposed in the summer to 2020. So at the beginning, it was seen primarily as a pulmonary virus. So the, the frameworks for rehabilitation were pulmonary rehabilitation focused. What evolved over time and really made us realize that, that it was more than pulmonary virus is it actually happened historically in December 2020 when the patient organization, so patient-led research for COVID-19, it's, it's an international patient organization. They published their, their second uh, report with over 3,500 patients who were living with long COVID for, so for over seven months. This is the only piece of data that differentiated between fatigue and post-exertional malaise. So post-exertional malaise is the cardinal sign of ME. It's a diagnostic sign, so it's, it's useful to, to distinguish between ME and other 
chronic fatigue syndrome. So post-exertional malaise is it's an exhaustion, it's a crash of fatigue, but all other possible symptoms that the person living with ME or long COVID has. So in this piece, in this particular piece of data in December 2020, 90% of the patient with long COVID reported having experienced post-exertional malaise over the first six months of living with the disease. So since this, this particular symptom is also the cardinal sign of ME, this is how both communities are linked. And this is how, scientifically speaking, both, these, both diseases are linked. So why is it relevant to the physiotherapy profession? Since these, these patients go to the, 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 the primary care physician and they report fatigue, the, the, the main referral they're going to obtain is to see a physiotherapist. So this is why it's, it's extremely important for MSK physiotherapists to add this knowledge and to develop these skills because they, these patients are, are coming and historically we are ill-informed to help patients with post-viral illnesses. Sabrina, what does this fatigue feel like? You know, we say fatigue and everybody thinks, well, I've been tired. You know, I know how that feels. It's it's a very relatable word, right? We've all been there. We've all felt it. And I think it's really the wrong word for what post-viral illness patients are dealing with. We exert ourselves physically or cognitively, and we go into that PEM state, that post-exertional malaise where everything flares. So those 40 to 50 symptoms can flare in different ways, depending on the day at different times. And the exhaustion is crushing. The best thing I think I, I've, I've been able to explain it as is it feels like your body is just kind of shutting down against your will. No matter what you do, you really can't fight it. So the best thing to do at that moment is to rest, to stop and rest. I think by getting to the long COVID patients earlier, we have the unique opportunity to see if we're going to be able to really mitigate some of the harm that's been done to other post-viral communities. Um, by getting to them quickly and by teaching them what PEM is, how to recognize it, what it looks like, what it feels like, and then how to manage your way through that. I'd like to tap into some of your experiences with musculoskeletal rehabilitation with physiotherapy and particularly pick up on this distinction between physical activity and exercise. What would you like to share with the clinicians listening about that distinction and why it's important to make that distinction? One of the things that I've learned through working more with the physiotherapy community over the last few months is that there is a distinction. Um, that wasn't something as a patient that I was ever aware of because the way physiotherapy has been applied in my case and in many cases, because remember we have over half a million Canadians with this condition and we have 17 to 24 million patients around the world, um, potentially even higher, and it's growing every day. The way that physio was applied was exercise. So it was a graded exercise approach where we were told to push no matter what we were feeling. We were encouraged to keep going, even if we were feeling incredibly sick. In the early days um, of doing some of this, for example, I would do hot yoga classes. And I remember the yoga teacher coming to me and saying, I don't think you should do this. This isn't a healthy activity for you because I was fainting. I was losing consciousness. <laughs> But, you know, you're pushing, right? You're trying to do that thing that your physio told you because you want to be well so badly. And this physio is trying to support you and help you. And so for me, there was no distinction. 
And what I've come to realize with the long COVID community and some of the wonderful physios I've had the pleasure of working with over the last um, number of months is that we need to look at patients through a different lens. I think we have to look at a more broad view of their lives. And when we think about physical activity, we have to count things that maybe we wouldn't normally count. Maybe as practitioners, you're not normally looking for. And so for me, physical activity includes having a shower. It includes brushing my teeth. It includes things like parenting, household chores. That all requires an enormous amount of energy and strength. And I think too often that's not counted as physical activity. And so when we go in and we go right to exercise, it assumes that everything else didn't count. And it looks at exercise as though that's the thing that's going to fix everything. And then you layer on the idea that we have to pace. If we're not counting those activities, we're not really pacing effectively because that takes up so much of our life. When we're doing pacing, that's really monitoring your physical activities. Um, Some people do heart rate monitoring. Some people just look at the activities that they can manage in the run of a day from a functional perspective and try to figure out how they can maybe add something to that. But many of our patients in the ME community have been pushed when they should have been told to pace or slow down. And they've not been able to count some of those things that they need to do in their lives. And so we've had physios, for example, say to us, never mind with the household chores, just go out and walk every day for 10 minutes. Well, that may sound good in theory for a short term, but that's not a realistic way to process that level of disability. The work that they're doing every day to try and function in daily life is sort of devalued. So I think that that distinction is really important. And I think for anybody listening to really count that full view of what the patient is doing every day and looking at how to reduce that, pace that, maybe move it around different times of the the day. Simon, in your editorial, you share a very clear message for clinicians, stop, rest, pace. We heard Sabrina mentioning some of those principles just before. What does stop, rest, pace mean for clinicians and how can clinicians share this message to support patients who are living with post-viral illness? Stop, rest and pace is by itself a paradigm shift. Normally, as a rehabilitation professional, as a physiotherapist in musculoskeletal health or chronic pain, when we see a patient, we are trying to, to help them rehabilitate as fast as we can because we don't want to get to the three-month or six-month mark because we are afraid of persistent pain. Now, if we look at the epidemiology of long COVID, we know that many patients will naturally recover in the first 12 weeks. But what we know from some very few data and and the experience from the community is that because most patients will experience post-exertional malaise, if they do relapse and relapse cycle because they are trying to push too fast, they are less likely to naturally recover. With the stop, rest, and pace, we want to send a message to patients that are trying to push themselves too fast to stop doing this to avoid relapse. And to clinicians, the most appropriate approach to help recover is to rest at least during the, the first 12 weeks. 
Then the message is the same for patients who have been living with this for three months, six months, nine, nine months, or over a year, because they are still in the observation or natural recovery phase that can take up to two years. So the, the message to stop rest is still important to avoid relapsing symptoms. And so the pacing, the pacing is the overall approach that we teach to identify the trigger and avoid the trigger of post-exertional malaise. So epidemiologically speaking, we know that patient will, some patient will, will lose the, the post-exertional malaise symptoms over the time course of the disease, but we need to respect the time it takes. The role of the rehabilitation professional is not to give an exercise program because post-viral illness, long COVID and ME is not deconditioning. It's a biological disease with biological processes. So the aim of rehabilitation is to avoid relapsing. It's not to give an exercise program to reduce fatigue. It's to support during the process of natural recovery. That's a different perspective with patients from long COVID community and the ME community. We redesign a new clinical study that, that used the stop, rest, and pace approach as a paradigm for both physiotherapy and occupational therapy. We are finalizing the data collection as we speak. So basically, every patient is supported by both a physiotherapist and an occupational therapist over a 12 weeks duration so that they learn how to identify trigger, how to manage these symptoms in their life while they are recovering from long COVID. And we are collecting data and we are surveying their adverse event, the the presence and the severity of post-exertional malaise. So I I don't have the data all analyzed yet, but we've been testing for the last few months the safety of this framework. We are facing some patients that are going to take more than a year or perhaps will face persistent disabilities. Let's wrap up with a quick fire round. We're going to bust some myths here. So, Simon, question number one to you. COVID vaccine equals long COVID gone. This is a myth. So we we had the report that some patients with long COVID with the vaccine had a a reduction of their symptoms. So it's being studied. But overall, even people who have been vaccinated can experience a mild form of the disease. And this can also lead to long COVID. Sabrina, long COVID is a brand new disease. Yeah, that's one we hear a lot. And unfortunately, it's a myth. So the COVID virus is a brand new virus, and that absolutely deserves robust study. And we're really excited to see the researchers tackling that. But the reality is the pattern of post-viral illness is not new. And we have millions and millions of people globally who are long haulers from other viruses who have been dealing with post-viral illness 
without a great deal of support or acknowledgement for, you know, decades. Simon, everyone with long COVID has the same symptoms. It's a myth. There's a constellation of symptoms. In this podcast, in the editorial, we, we focus on the link between ME and long COVID as a safety concern. But if we go back to the beginning, I said that 70% of patients at six at seven months will have post-exertional malaise, with, which means that there are 30% of patients with long COVID who do not have these symptoms. There are different subsets of patients with long COVID. They will need personalized rehabilitation approach. The only thing to keep in mind here is that right now, we are not capable of predicting everything. So over the next year, we'll have more research to, to enable us to do that. So right now, we, we need to have a safe overall approach. Serena, long COVID is really just mass anxiety. It's not a post-viral illness. Yeah, that's a really big myth that's permeating everywhere, it seems, unfortunately. So this isn't a new myth. This is a myth that has traveled alongside the post-viral community for a long time. Mass hysteria is a narrative that has almost always followed uh, viral outbreaks when we couldn't explain why some were getting well and some were remaining ill. And unfortunately, it's not true. And, you know, the best way out of that myth is great science. And we're so thankful. And a big shout out to our wonderful scientists who are working so hard to find answers Traditionally, in the post-viral community, it's been anxiety is causing your symptoms. So let's look at trying to treat this anxiety, whether it's there or not, as a way of fixing everything. And that that hasn't proven to be true. Science has debunked that multiple times over. And again, the best way to get rid of these kinds of narratives is great science. And so we're so thankful to those who are working in that field. It's very important that we move quickly here because we've already seen the data that clinicians are stopping their differential diagnosis as a mental health condition for long COVID. So we have a unique opportunity here as rehabilitation professionals who are capable of, go, of doing very precise assessment and really documenting the, the, the physical impairments of this patient to educate our physician colleagues to go beyond a differential diagnosis of, of anxiety and really understand the disease and provide the appropriate approaches. Sabrina, I'm going to ask you to wrap the podcast for us today with your call to action for musculoskeletal rehabilitation clinicians. How can we best help folks who are living with post-viral illness? For those who, who have listened, this is a wonderful way to get some information, but we've only just scratched the surface of all the information that exists around post-viral illness and some of the wonderful people doing wonderful work. Certainly, we would encourage you to read the paper in the journal, our editorial, and that would be, I think, um, something that would be really great to kind of keep on your desk and have nearby so that as you're talking to patients too, you can help them understand, give them some of that language and really start to help them understand what PEM looks like, how to monitor for it, and really work collaboratively with the patients to figure out what the next step should be. And I think just continue to learn, continue to stay open, intellectually curious, continue to ask great questions. I think that for me is something that I'm seeing the MSK community doing a really great job of right now. And as a patient, I've been really excited to see that sort of shift 
And I think that the more we ask great questions, the more we have these dialogues, the more we're going to open up the understanding and really create positive change for long COVID patients, but also for all those long haulers who came before them. We'll pop the link to to your editorial in the show notes for today's podcast. Serena, Simon, thank you so much for joining me on JOSPT Insights. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.